values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Listen to the music. I, I go as long as I can think I can get away with it. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, the Van Halen song Jump brings back great memories of my childhood. Um, we're going to talk about crime and punishment. We continue to have this conversation, and I think I'm speaking common sense. This is where I think as divided as we are always going to be politically. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of the anger and the vitriol and the name-calling. I don't think it's going to happen. Not as long as we have social media and anonymous people that just have a predisposed idea that if you disagree with me politically, you're a horrible person. You may once in a while get lucky and do something good. I mean, even a broken clock is right twice a day. But by and large, you're just a horrible person. And if we didn't have people like you, our country would be much better off. You're never going to get rid of that sentiment. But when you start having one-on-one conversations about issues and not politics, you start to see there are areas where people largely agree. Take out the extremes in opinions. And not everybody's an extremist on everything. But all of us, I think, have an extreme opinion on something. And when it comes to crime and punishment – This headline is shocking to me. Uh, Alvin Bragg, who is the New York DA, his deputy says prosecutors have the power to change justice, the justice system by declining to charge criminals. I want you to think about somebody that's hired in the district attorney's office. This is an activist, and I appreciate activism. But when you have a job to do and your job is prosecution of crimes, you're not you shouldn't be an activist. I mean, am I wrong about that? That the idea that your job is to be the prosecutor and you're saying we have to change this system by not prosecuting some criminals so that there's equity. And I just look at that and think, man, we are in big trouble. Um, there was a hearing and they continue these hearings into Alvin Bragg. They're in the questions about why they're doing what they're doing. The idea that they're bringing people in that are crime victims. I hope none of you are ever a victim of a crime, big or small. But when you're the victim of a crime and you do the right thing, because, you know, when you're a little kid and you get punched by your brother or your sister and you punch them back, that's street justice. That's you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Most parents punish both kids for hitting each other. And your response is, wait a minute, they hit me first. But in our society, what we're supposed to do and what we've been inclined to do is when someone wrongs us, when someone commits a crime against us, we report it to the authorities, counting on the fact that the police are going to do their jobs and investigate the crime and make an arrest when they can, and that prosecutors are going to prosecute the crime, and that judges are going to put a fair sentence, and then the the justice system, the prison system, is going to keep that person in prison for the amount of time that they're supposed to be in prison. When that breaks down, victims not only are angry, they feel like idiots. And I'm one of them. I've been there. You feel like a fool. You think I should have just fixed it myself and let the chips fall where they may. 
And that's the society we are moving toward. The All these conversations about stand your ground, all of these conversations, I shouldn't say all of them. The majority of these times we have these questions about why are so many people buying guns and the number of people that are getting the background checks done for firearms because they don't feel safe. Not only do they feel that there's not enough cops around to protect them, they also feel like the system is rigged against them, that the victims – are no longer the victims. The perpetrators become the victims as soon as they enter the system. If you were, if you live somewhere where this ideology is alive and well that I'm talking about, there is in their mind that it is a systemic problem that there is a higher percentage of non-white people that are being convicted of crimes. So the idea is we are not going to convict non-white people or, or, or prosecute them in the name of equity. If you're a crime victim, you don't care what color the person's skin is that committed a crime against you, and they should be equally punished for that crime no matter what they've done. And there's an ideology that doesn't believe that that's true in the name of equity. And I will tell you, if there is a disproportionate prosecution rate, that's something to address. If you have the same crime committed... By two different people of two different races and it's handled two different ways, that's an issue. That's an issue that should be addressed by the system. But saying that that's happened in the past so we're not going to punish someone, what this tells a criminal, and it doesn't matter what their skin color is, if they know there's going to be a revolving door, there's going to be a bond, or they're going to be released on their own recognizance, or there is no real problem, they're going to let you out of jail. How many times – well, it was this huge number of shopliftings. A third of the shopliftings in New York are being committed by less than 500 people, the same group of people. They've been arrested multiple times throughout their adult lives with no end in sight, and they continue to be turned loud on the streets. That's where people are furious about this. You look at what happened in the area of town called The Zone. Now, nobody wants to punish someone because they're homeless. That's never been the point. But there's drug dealing going on. There is violence. There's intimidation. There's extortion. There's prostitution. There's murder. There's all kinds of violence going on. And when you're not in there punishing that group of people, they're a microcosm of society. It doesn't have to be homeless people. Pick a neighborhood. Pick a neighborhood. I don't care if it is a upper middle class neighborhood or a poor working class neighborhood. If there is no repercussion for bad behavior, people will behave badly. Not all people, but, you know, the, the predators. There are people on the street that are homeless and they live as victims because there's no one there to protect them. Just like in every other part of our society, there are people that are homeless that are predators, and they're preying upon the people in their neighborhood. In that case, they happen to be other homeless people. This is my corner. You're going to pay me rent to live in this corner. I'm going to steal your drugs. I'm going to take your food. I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to threaten your life. Sexual assault, all of it is happening because... Law enforcement was not allowed to do its job. Now, the city of Phoenix, as I said before, misinterpreted the law. I don't believe it was intentional. But now that they're starting to arrest people in the zone, that people that are breaking the law now know they're going to be arrested for it, you're going to start seeing some changes. But that's a microcosm of the rest of society. 
uh, Phoenix PD has, they call them net squads or neighborhood enforcement teams. And a net squad is sometimes undercover, sometimes they're in uniform. They're identifying uh, crimes being committed in a certain area. So if you live in a part of town and in your neighborhood, there seems to be a lot of car thefts or auto burglaries or prostitution or hand-to-hand drug sales, whatever it might be in your neighborhood where there seems to be a spike in activity, a net squad will go into that area. They will flood it with uniformed police officers and drive people out, or they'll do undercover operations to weed out the people that are doing it, put them in jail so that the crime rate goes down. And the opposite happens when you remove them from the situation. And so we're going to have to be diligent. I believe this to be true. What kind of a city, what kind of towns do we want to live in? I'm going to talk about the border in a moment. Eight bodies found in a resort town in Mexico. What will this do to the economy of that nation and the relationships between our two countries? We'll get to it here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much. Um, a horrible story out of Cancun, Mexico. Bodies were discovered over the weekend about 10 miles from Cancun's beach at a hotel zone, and police have launched a coordinated effort in search of missing people in the wooded lots. Um there are three sets of skeletal remains were discovered at separate sites. According to the government, more than 112,000 people are listed as missing throughout the country while crimes are more common in other areas. Cancun and other resorts were typically regarded as safe travel destinations. I want to start there. Um, we've been talking recently a lot about the border. We're going to be talking even more about this as the expiration of Title 42. But there is more to it than just the border issue for the U.S. It's the immediate issue. There's no doubt. The border security problem is one that's an immediate problem for the U.S. It is with the people that are coming across the border illegally. It is about the drugs that are getting into our country. The other part of this for Americans, and I wonder if we're going to ever lean this way as Americans again, um, it is sometimes also public sentiment. And I know that sounds dumb, but at what point do Americans, are we angry? We get angry at the drug cartels. I am. I think they are heartless, ruthless groups of people that care nothing more than about profit. And, and they don't care about your life or my life or anybody else's. They don't care about our opinions at all. But what about the Americans that for money are getting in bed with these cartels, whether they're human traffickers or drug traffickers, and especially the drugs that are killing so many people? Um, and I don't make a lot of recommendations, but I, I've watched this series. It's a Nat Geo series. You can buy it on Amazon Prime. I don't know where else you can find it, but it's called To Catch a Smuggler. And it chronicles over four seasons, I believe, um, what CBP has to endure at ports of entry and other places and trying to interdict the sheer genius ways that they are hiding drugs and different things to get them into our country. And it does other things. They, you have people bringing in agricultural stuff and bringing in artifacts from other parts of the world. But largely it's about the drug trafficking and human trafficking and how they are hiding people and hiding drugs to get it into our country. And the people, the Americans sometimes, that are willing to bring them in. And I think at some point we have to take that into account. But this story is more about tourism and about the stability of the Mexican economy. When uh, I was young, uh, Florida was having a, a, a number of people that were preying on tourists at 
rest areas along I-75. There's two main freeways that go north and south in Florida. On the west coast of Florida, it's I-75. On the east coast of Florida, it's I-95. And uh, they had so many people at the rest areas were getting robbed because back then you could identify what rental cars were. And they knew these were families that were traveling. So it was so bad that I believe it was Germany, but a European country actually designated Florida as a dangerous place to visit. And that was such a big part of Florida's tourism that the Florida Highway Patrol had changed the way they patrol the freeways to be looking closer and closer to try to stop these crimes because it was impacting the economy of Florida. It is a horrible crime. I'm not taking the humanity out of it, but from an economic standpoint, it was a big deal. And what happens now, because we've talked so much about Rocky Point, about Puerto Penasco, and uh, for the huge number of people here that have a second home, literally, sometimes and figuratively, that, that Rocky Point is your second home. Businesses, homes down there, what happens if you have a rental property there that's part of your investment for your future? Uh, what happens if other places in New Mexico are destabilized because of the violence? We've got to take a comprehensive look as a nation of how we address our neighbors and what the problems are. If you look, look at the war with Russia and Ukraine, who do you think is nervous? Poland. They're worried they're going to be next. And we as a nation, for a number of reasons, should be working with the Mexican government. Now, there's a lot of pushback. I don't know that the Mexican government, some of their leadership, wants any help from the U.S. But this is a national security issue. It's a financial security issue. Um, number one trading partner for the state of Arizona is Mexico. And you look at the businesses. Look at Tucson and the huge crossover traffic of people that travel north to shop in Tucson, coming up as far as the valley to stay for the weekend and shop. You know, if you're an American, and you travel to Mexico and you drive down to Rocky Point for long weekends and that's a place for you to go to and relax and it's a vacation for you, well, don't you think it's common sense that the same thing is happening with the Mexican population and tourism that's coming to the U.S., staying at the beautiful resorts that are down in Tucson or up here in the valley? Absolutely they're doing it. There's no doubt that they're doing it. And when you have now the resort areas, which have been largely off limits to criminals, the criminal activity is in other places. Now, when it starts to infiltrate in this way, what happens? Would you and I want you to ask yourself, would you go? There are some people that say, absolutely, I'm not worried at all. You're safer in Cancun than you are Chicago. Maybe you feel that way. But is there a changing number of Americans that are saying, you know what? Until I know for certain, I'm just going to take my time and go somewhere else. And if that begins to happen in big numbers, what does that do to the Mexican economy? It's a great question. I, I think it's a great study. Um, and, and it's one that we need to talk about. We talked earlier about uh, this weird rule that's being changed where it's punishing people with good credit to help people with bad credit. I want to talk a little bit more about this, the effects of the economy, and uh, I will tell you my gasoline story from yesterday. Yeah, I'm going to complain a little bit. We're going to do all of that coming up next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Sometimes you just know you can't say it. That's all I'm saying. 
There's just certain things you got to edit yourself. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, the concerns of a recession and what can be done by Americans. And, and I will say that uh, one of the things that we, either we've done to ourselves or it's been figured out and, and it's done to us is they figured out a way to put us against each other. You know what I mean? There's enough competition, and I love competition. Believe me, whether it's it's doing this job here and trying to be the best that I can, and and seeing how I I do with the audience over time, all these things matter to me. I am a fierce competitor. I want to be stronger next week than I am now. I don't care how old I get. There are things I am a fierce competitor. But when it comes to a team, I am a big believer in team effort. And I look at America and I think we're all in it together and we keep segmenting each other. Um, whether we let our political leaders do it, we have speeches for the gay community and for the black community and for the Latino community and for the Latinx community, whatever the hell that is. And we have, um, you know what I mean? We have, we're so segmented, women and men and gay and straight and rich and poor. And in the end, we are all subject to the same constitution, or I should say our government is subject to the same constitution. We live by the same rules. We struggle with the same thing to differing degrees, and instead of us being unified in a sense and saying that we are in it together, let's see how we are politically, we're always at each other's throats. When it comes to the economy, this is just a dumb idea. It is a bad idea for the economy overall, and it's unfair to some people. I don't care where you are economically and what your credit score is right now. You know this is unfair. Um, it is, and I want you to hear this. This is Rebecca Jarvis from ABC talking about new rules that lenders will face beginning May 1st with Freddie Mac and uh, Fannie Mae. Among these changes, people who have lower credit scores may get more of a break with those upfront fees when it comes to buying. People with higher credit scores will still pay less, but they may not get as much of a break. Um, that's a nice way of saying it. Here are the rules. Critics of the rules are saying this. These new rules apply only to loans from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Critics say that it penalizes people with higher credit. They make them pay more. But the organization changing the rules, the Federal Housing Finance Agency, they say there are many factors in play, like the amount of money of a down payment, and many borrowers may actually see no change at all. Right. So the other part of that is if you put more money down. So I I am, and I've been, I'm really honest about my life and the dumb things I've done. I'm not good with money. I, I had to learn. I had to force myself. I've always been because I was raised living hand to mouth, living paycheck to paycheck. And so I never no one ever taught me how to save money. Nobody in my family ever had any money to save. Um, you know, no one in my family had money, none. And I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about where you could set money aside. My mother, God bless her, finally was able to get into a career where she had a 401k. That was the extent of it. She had money set aside from her paycheck every week until she retired 27 years later, and that was, that, was, that was the extent of a financial plan. And um, so I, you know, if I had 100 bucks in my pocket, I spent 100 bucks. If I had 10, I spent 10. Take out 1,000, I'll spend 1,000. That's just the, the way I've always been in my life. But what I learned, and I, I've told this story before, when I lost my business after the big crash of everything in the 08, 09, 
I began in radio full time and my business went under and I was in debt to the tune of a quarter of a million dollars. It was the biggest amount of money I ever thought I would be in debt. I mean, it was a crazy amount of money to me. And uh, to my ex-wife's credit, we were still married at the time. We worked out a plan to pay off everything we could. And we did. We didn't welch on anybody. And... Um, but our credit took a big hit. We had to short sell a house. Credit took a huge hit, which is understandable. But as I transitioned into radio and started making a living and making more money, um, I paid off my debts and I was able to see the transition where now money was working in my favor. And now when I look at paying my bills, I look forward to paying my bills. I pay my bills early. And I, it, it, it's a pleasure because I know what the fear is like to believe I can't pay my bills, to not want to answer the phone, to be afraid of what's going to be in the mailbox. Um, I, I, truly, I know what that's like. But I also understand that I have worked very, very hard since 2009 when all of that began to spin out of control for us. And I know what it's like to be where I am now, where I can pay my bills on time. I keep track. I have credit monitoring. I have all of that stuff to make sure someone doesn't steal my identity. I, I, I keep track of all of that stuff. And I'm proud of the fact that, I mean, and I'm not, I don't have an 800 score, but I've got a very high credit score. And I'm happy about that because I've worked hard for it. So now we're hearing from people in our government on top of everything else. By the way, Julia. I spent I, yesterday, I meant to tell you this, I meant to complain about this earlier this morning. Um, I got gas yesterday after work. $115 to fill my tank. Oh my God. And I'm taking regular unleaded, 87 octane, not the premium stuff. $115 to fill my tank. So everybody's feeling the crunch. On top of that, if you are able to maintain a good score, you're going to be penalized. We used to, in this country, you would reward success. If you work hard, if you did the right thing, I'm never going to be, you know, I'm never going to be Elon Musk. I'm never going to be a multimillionaire. But I put, you know, I, I pay my bills on time. I'm a good credit risk. I have, um, you know, a, a lot of a few credit cards, but I keep the balances very low. I pay them. All, you know what I mean? I do the right things now. And so when I was not able to do the right thing, when I was underwater financially, I understood I was a, a credit risk to some people and I wasn't expecting anybody else to bail me out. But for me to now say in my old situation, I could actually get lower rates and fees than I can after I've shown myself to do the right thing is an absurd idea that doesn't work in any other aspect of our lives. You know, again, I, I used this illustration earlier. If it were you personally, I want you to think about you personally. And you have friends and you have a friend that comes to you and says, hey, listen, I'm in a really tough spot. Will you loan me a couple of hundred bucks? And it's somebody you've known your whole life and you rely on them and they're good to you and you've been good to them. So you loan them a couple hundred bucks and it takes forever to get your money back. You got to chase them down. They pay you back 10 bucks at a time. They pay you back four or five months later than they promised you they pay you back. It takes forever. You going to loan them money again? No, no, you're not. And if you have somebody that you've loaned money to and they say, hey, I just need 20 bucks. I promise you I'll get it back on Friday. They call you Friday and say, hey, I've got your 20 bucks. Do you want me to send it to you Venmo or whatever else? You know what I mean? You, then there's someone there you can trust. 
And here we are in a system that is so upside down and backwards. There can't be anybody that thinks that this is a good idea, a, a fair idea. It's absolutely not fair. And I, I just think it's going to upset the system and we're going to have more trouble than it's worth. And I hope we end it soon. I've got a fascinating story coming up in a moment. An Arizona lawmaker, this is a national story, an Arizona lawmaker down at the state legislature hiding Bibles. Wait until I tell you why. We'll get to that next. I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. I only talk to God when I need a favor. Thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time. You want to check out a great artist. His name is Jelly Roll, and he is taking the country music scene by storm. Great story of, of recovery um, and uh, reconciliation. Just a good uh, uh, the story is crazy good. Look him up. Um, you're going to love his music. Um, an Arizona state lawmaker caught red-handed on camera hiding Bibles in a members-only lounge. So if you've never been down to the state legislature, it's kind of a cool setup. Um, there is a court between the Senate and the House office buildings. And when you go into the office buildings, if you're escorted, they have an area that is um, a lounge, they call it. But it's just like a members only. So senators can go in the Senate office building in the House, and it's kind of a private way for the members to get away. You can go in as a guest, and I have on a number of occasions, but you have to be escorted by a member. Um, And in the House side of things, um, and I don't know how it is at the Senate, but in this building – There were some Bibles on some of the tables uh, available for people to read them if they want. And uh, there was a complaint going back, I think, to March where uh, they were disappearing. So security was looking to find out what happened to them. They found one under couch cushions and they found one in the refrigerator. So somebody was intentionally taking the Bibles off the tables and hiding them. And so security put in a camera and they put in the camera and they caught a Democrat representative um, hiding them. Um, and they normally are left on display in the House Members Only Lounge, the restricted area. Uh, I'm trying to look at the – I want to get the story correct. Um, they, they just, there's a picture in this news story of one of the Bibles in a refrigerator. Um, so the security team put in cameras. On April 10th, when the House members were in session, a third incident occurred. This time, the pair of Bibles in a lounge once again went missing from their locations. The camera captured Representative Stephanie Stahl Hamilton, a Democrat and ordained Presbyterian minister, according to her bio, removing the books and hiding them under two sofas in the lounge. Hiding them under the cushions. Um, she was asked by a reporter uh, why This is a reporter from CBS 5, and uh, she refused to answer the question and walked away. Do I think this is the crime of the century? No. But what does this say? I I mean, I'm I'm being serious here. The separation of people – I love the conversation about the separation of church and state because there is no such thing in the way that it is currently being handled. Go look for it in the founding documents. They're nowhere. It's a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptists. So I want you to think just logically for a moment. Do you think that the Danbury Baptists – that wrote a letter to concern, of concern to Jefferson were concerned that they would ever have too much influence on government? Or do you think it was more likely that they're worried the government was going to have too much influence over religion? 
That's when Bab- when when he said there's this great wall of separation between church and state. What Jefferson was saying was government will there's this great wall of separation where they will never be able to influence you. And you look at the society we live in now. Now you have somebody it was at a, a street preacher in Oklahoma who threatened with arrest because he was quoting the Bible and disagreeing with people that were gay. Whether you agree with it or not, he has a right to say it. He has a right to his religious beliefs. They were going to arrest him for it. So the great wall of separation isn't really there much anymore. The opposite of this is now you have somebody hiding Bibles. I want and and you can always there is always a fair test when you hear something when you think you think is that racist or is that if that wrong I want you to replace the race or in this case replace the book. What if let's go to the extremes. What if in the House of Representatives in Washington DC What if they have, you know, I'm sure they have a members only lounge. Let's say in the members only lounge or let's say an office. She went in one of the members went in the office. Let's say Marjorie Taylor Greene went into Ilhan Omar's office and took a Quran and put it in the refrigerator or under a sofa cushion. Do you think that people would lose their minds and say that that's discrimination and wrong? If it were another holy book. Do you think people would be outraged? And the answer is, yeah, I think so, too. This is just it is one more signal of the uh, this complete bias that people have and the anger that people have toward any form of authority. That's what this all boils down to. The anti-police movement is an anti-authority movement that's been going on forever. I don't care how faith based you are. People have a right to express themselves. I fight for people I absolutely disagree with to be able to speak their minds. Absolutely have a right under the First Amendment to speak their minds. But now it's time for other people to stand up here and say, what are you talking about? You know, you have a a school board in the Washington School District that won't allow students from a Christian university on their campus to learn as students to learn. These are teachers. These are future teachers. They're not allowed in the classroom anymore because of the statement of faith on the website of Arizona Christian University. It has absolutely gotten to an absurd level, and at some point, someone's got to speak up, and it can't just be a Christian community. It's got to be other people that stand up and say, this is wrong, this is stupid, this is horrible, and I'm anxious to see when it's going to happen, because it's got to happen sooner rather than later. What we're going to do at 11 o'clock is we've got a guest coming on. Her name is Anna, and she is uh, – Anna Van Hoke is her name. She is going to talk to us about schools and social-emotional learning, so that's coming up. Next.